0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is RareCast. One of the most promising areas for rare disease treatments is gene therapy. Part of the emerging area of regenerative medicine. Though long considered a therapy of the future, a number of therapeutics with the potential to treat rare diseases are advancing through the clinic. We spoke to Karen Kozarski, managing partner at Vector Partners, ahead of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine's January 27th Roundtable on Rare Diseases. Kozarski discussed the promise gene therapy holds for rare diseases, the challenges in developing these therapies, and the progress being made. Karen, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be talking to you.
0: The Alliance for Regenerative Medicine will hold a rare disease roundtable in Washington, D.C. at the Carnegie Library, January 27th. You'll be moderating one of the panels there, and I thought this would be a good time to talk about the emerging therapeutic promise of regenerative medicine in treating rare diseases. Regenerative medicine has come to include an expanding group of therapeutic approaches. First, perhaps you can give our listeners a sense of what is meant by the term regenerative medicine, what does it include, and and what constitutes a regenerative medicine therapy?
1: So these therapies are products that are intended to augment, repair, replace, or regenerate organs, tissues, cells, genes, and metabolic processes in the body. And so that's kind of a complex way of saying that it's trying to treat the root causes of disease and disorders rather than just treating the symptoms of disease. And so with this, we're hoping to both stop or even reverse disease progression. And it represents quite a shift in in medicine in terms of how to treat uh, patients, especially diseases with unmet medical needs, Um, and it's really a, a new frontier for patients. So these are revolutionary treatments that are often called disruptive treatments only because it disrupts the normal pattern of medical care by using a different approach to treating disease. Um, and, you know, it's hopeful. hopefully some of these will lead to cures for some of the most devastating diseases, but certainly at the minimum to provide really beneficial treatments. And a lot of these diseases are ones that don't have conventional treatments available. Um, so that's the broader definition of, of regenerative medicine. And thank you for mentioning the rare disease roundtable, um, because this will be the first in a series of patient roundtables to try and educate patients um, and all other stakeholders of what's going on in the field, what the delivery challenges are, and that this first one will, in fact, um, will will be based around rare diseases themselves. So if listeners are interested, of course, they can go to the Alliance's website. Um, it's AllianceRM.org.
0: Many people think of regenerative medicine as therapies of the future, but Regenerative medicine is very much a part of the here and now. I'm wondering if you could perhaps recap some of the information the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine presented at its annual state-of-the-industry presentation at the Biotech Showcase in San Francisco earlier this month in terms of financing, products, and pipeline. What is the state of the industry?
1: So in terms of numbers, there are now over 670 companies that make up the regenerative medicine and advanced therapies sector worldwide. And advanced therapies is a phrase that encompasses regenerative medicine that is used um, typically in Europe and in some other parts of the world also. So globally, there's over 630 active clinical trials. So these are are both industry-sponsored as well as investigator-initiated clinical trials. And in terms of the financing around it, um, the partnership and deal-making environment is quite robust. There have been more than $2.4 billion in corporate partnership payments in 2015, which is up more than sixfold over the previous year. And also last year, the sector raised a total of $10.8 billion, representing an over-two-fold increase over 2014. So we really feel the industry has a great deal of momentum. And certainly holds a great deal of promise for patients in terms of both clinical and commercial successes that are that are coming
0: up well you've touched on this to some extent, but let 's get a little deeper. What makes regenerative therapy so compelling as a, an approach to treat rare diseases?
1: Well, the really interesting new thing that these that these potentially provide is not just to hold the promise of treating many currently unmet medical needs but more importantly, perhaps providing a real paradigm shift in medicine. So this is looking to treat the root causes of disease, not simply the symptoms, in order to stop or in some cases even reverse their progression.
0: At the same time, what makes a particular rare disease a good candidate for regenerative medicine approach? Is it something more than a single aberrant gene driving the disease?
1: So for many of these diseases, uh, particularly ones that are being approached using the gene therapy methods, that um, these are most often uh, single-gene defects. So a single gene that is uh, that has a defect in it can lead to a disease. And in those cases, using these sorts of therapeutics, we can work at trying to deliver a correct copy of that gene back to the patient in order to try and stop the symptoms. Um, and there are other diseases, however, that are more complex than this that still fall within the rare disease so an example of this certainly would be very specific forms of cancer, and while cancer overall is, is a quite broad disease and you know, unfortunately is not uncommon, um, the individual diseases within cancer are each of themselves rare diseases, and these are often multifactorial and can include more than a single gene defect or, and certainly can be greatly affected by the environment.
0: I imagine the area of gene therapy is the one that holds the greatest promise right now for treating rare diseases. In general, how do these therapies work? Does it start with extracting cells from a patient? Walk us through the process of treating someone with a gene therapy.
1: Sure. Let me start with the delivery mechanism. So the majority of the gene therapies that are in the clinic now and are showing some success are based on using a viral vector. And what that means is that it's taking advantage of a virus to deliver a gene to cells. So viruses have naturally evolved to deliver their genetic components into cells. And in the process of a normal viral infection, usually that is, leads to the replication of the virus so it reproduces itself and can spread. So for gene therapy, what we want to do is take advantage of the fact that this vector is quite good at delivering genetic information to cells, but then we interrupt the rest of the process, so it can't reproduce itself and cannot cause any disease with that. So we start with this virus that now encapsulates and delivers to cells a gene, and then how do we deliver the gene is part of the question, and the real answer is there are two different ways to deliver it. One is called ex vivo and one is called in vivo therapy. For ex vivo therapy, that does involve taking, patient, taking cells from patients, uh, incubating those cells with a viral vector to allow those cells to be infected with that vector for the gene of interest to be delivered. And then those cells are reintroduced into the body. And that is true uh, typically that is most often used to treat cells of the hematopoietic origin so the blood-making cells. So uh, we may derive bone marrow stem cells or other hematopoietic cells from a patient. They're more efficiently...
0: I take it those cells are significant, not just because they make blood, but because they give rise to the immune system.
1: Correct. They give rise to the entire immune system. So you can potentially deliver genes to all cells of the immune system, um, including the blood-making cells. Right. So... um, So delivery to such cells allows you to deliver genes doing this ex vivo mean, meaning that when you are taking those cells out of a patient, put them into culture, then apply the virus to those cells, allows you to deliver the virus with a fairly high efficiency. And those cells can then be transplanted back into the patient, typically by an intravenous infusion, simple infusion. And then those cells can take up residence in the patient. And that's what's considered ex vivo gene therapy. When gene therapy is to be used in other cell types in the body, in particular in tissues which are not easily removed from a body and treated that way, it is possible to treat that patient in vivo, meaning that you deliver the actual viral vector containing your gene of interest directly into patients. And that could be done intravenously, especially for delivery to the liver. And it can also be directed in other ways, such as injected into the muscle if muscle delivery is the goal, um, injected into the back of the eye if so wishes to treat the retina of the eye, um, and, other, and various ways of introducing it into the central nervous system if that is the target tissue. So the ex vivo gene therapy is a very personalized gene therapy in that every individual patient cells gets treated separately and reintroduced back into the patient. Within vivo gene therapy, it's more an off-the-shelf type of injection where the same viral vector will be, uh, will be injected into all of the patients to be treated.
0: It's still early days for gene therapy, but we do have growing experience with gene therapies and clinical development. Where have the challenges been? Is it in delivery? Is it in getting the genes to take hold? Is it something else?
1: So the vast majority of it focuses around delivery. So it's always been a matter of, can we deliver to the right cell types within the body? And can we deliver it efficiently enough to those cells? And that's an ongoing challenge. um, And there are many new viral vectors that have been that have been developed lately that really have made big strides in that delivery. And in addition, um, there are other methods for making that delivery more efficient, especially when you consider ex vivo gene therapy. There's been a lot of advances in those both of those directions. But the uh, these challenges are ongoing and new research is constantly going on also. And we're very optimistic that we can continue to optimize these vectors for delivery to suit a larger number of diseases.
0: Give us some examples of rare disease therapies in development today where we've seen promise and that are advancing through clinical development.
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of therapies lately that have been showing some uh real real interesting data in clinical development. So in terms of early stage, one of the best examples is hemophilia B, in which several different groups, including um a, a collaboration coming out of University College London and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, um, as well as separate clinical trials from companies uh Baxalta and Unicure that have recently shown great clinical data for hemophilia B patients. Um, these are early stage clinical trials, so these are phase one clinical trials. Um, but patients who have been very severe hemophiliacs have been treated and are uh, many of them are showing a more mild hemophilia phenotype, which for those patients makes a, a big difference in terms of uh, in terms of their lifestyle and how they need to be treated. Um, in addition, more advanced therapies are on the way. Spark Therapeutics is um, in the midst of a phase three clinical trial for an inherited retinal degenerative disease which causes blindness called Leber congenital amaurosis, and they recently reported some preliminary data from that trial that are very promising. Um, or, for, to go even a little further down the pipeline, GlaxoSmithKline, along with its partners, have submitted a marketing authorization application in the European Union for a gene therapy for rare immunodeficiency called ADA SCID. And finally, there is one product on the market now. Um, from a company called Unicure, which is called Glybera, and that was approved in the European Union to treat a rare inherited disease called lipoprotein lipase deficiency. So there are a lot of treatments now advancing through the clinical pipeline, um, generating some really exciting data.
0: As you mentioned earlier, unlike traditional drugs used to treat diseases, regenerative medicine therapies are often talked about as potential cures. What do we know about the durability of these treatments and whether in practice they will serve as cures rather than just treatments?
1: The real answer is we don't know yet. But there are some, interest, is, there's some interesting information that has come out. So, for example, the hemophilia B clinical trials that I mentioned before, there is ongoing data uh, reading out from the first clinical trial in which patients have had stable gene expression for over four years. And remember, this is after a single treatment, a single injection with a therapeutic. And nothing else needs to, has needed to be repeated over the course of those four years, so it is uh, these do seem to be very long lasting. Um, these patients, many of these patients, most of them in fact, have not required other treatments, which typically have included inject, repeated injections of re, of the recombinant clotting factor that they are missing um, and more importantly, perhaps it really changes their quality of life and that patients have been able to be much more physically active than they were before because there's no uh, much less concern about spontaneous bleeds. So you have a combination of a single treatment that so far is quite long-lasting um, and, and really affects how the patients are living their lives. I think long-term, the only way to know for sure, of course, is over time as these patients continue to go out uh, through clinical trials and see how long these therapies are lasting.
0: There's growing debate over pricing of therapeutics. We've seen a fair bit of controversy over the pricing of new hepatitis C therapies that are curative. As we see gene therapies, ones that are potentially one-time treatments that are curative, come to market, is this industry going to need to develop new pricing models to realize the value of these therapies? And, And if so, what might they look like?
1: Yes, I think that in many cases there will be new pricing models needed. And this is something, of course, that's of great concern in the industry. So these regenerative medicine and advanced therapies do have the potential to offer significant improvement in the economics in the current healthcare system. So in developing more effective treatments for many burdensome diseases and conditions, these will potentially help the patients lead longer, healthier, and more productive lives while reducing the need for some long-term and costly treatments. So this includes not only the cost of treatments that might be available to them, but also the cost of the healthcare system in general to keep treating these patients as best one can. So given the complexity and the wide variety of diseases to be treated by regenerative medicine, it's unlikely there will be a single model that will fit the entire field. But examples of the pricing models that are under consideration now are certainly a one-time payment, which is the traditional model for reimbursement. So the payer will pay at the time that the patient receives treatments, And the patient's outcome, in this case, has no impact on price or payment. And that is our traditional model here in the U.S. But other models that are under consideration include uh, pay for performance. And in this case, the payments would be spread out over time. And the payments, continuing payments, would be contingent on proof that the treatment's effective and safe. And so this spreads the cost out over time for payers. And the third model is an amortization model, which is basically an annual payment model. So it spreads the payments over a period of several years um, without, um, without including an assessment of outcome. It just spreads out these payments. And there are other innovative financing mechanisms under consideration, certainly. And um, the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine is developing a white paper series focused on the reimbursement and market access. And so we'll identify and explain the pricing models available. And information about this is also available on the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine's website. And the first paper will be published um, early this year.
0: Karen Kozarski, Managing Partner at Vector Partners. And you can see Karen at the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine's Rare Disease Roundtable in Washington, D.C. at the Carnegie Library, January 27th. More information can be found on the Alliance's website at AllianceRM.org. Karen, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to GlobalGenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit Raredaily.org.